welcome to another episode of The Learning Curve. I am your host, Julia McLeod. Before we begin, please join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, enable me to teach with wisdom, for I help to shape the mind. Equip me to teach with truth, for I help to shape the conscience. Encourage me to teach with vision, for I help to shape the future. Empower me to teach with love, for I help to shape the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of Treaty 6 and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 4, in which many Indigenous peoples have come before us to call home. We acknowledge the contributions that the Indigenous peoples have provided to help shape our past, present, and future. We commit to restoring and honouring the truth and reconciliation calls to action and believe that together our collective communities can build a stronger understanding of all people who dwell on this land and who call it home. This is part two of a two-part episode. Today we will hear from Maria Greshek, a grade six teacher at Bishop Saverin School, who has embraced teacher clarity this year in her classroom. The episode's title is A School-Wide Approach to Assessment. In part one, we heard from Nicole Tomlinson, the principal at Bishop Saverin School, on how this initiative came to be. The agenda for the episode today will center mainly around Maria's interview. Her interview will be split with a segment by Deputy Superintendent Tim Cusack, where he will present an outdated assessment practice and offer us a solution to move forward. That's the plan for today. Let's jump in. Hi, my name is Allison Gabucci, and I'm part of the assessment and reporting team for Edmonton Catholic School Division. Today, we are here with Maria Gresick, who is a grade six teacher at Bishop Saverin. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career so far? Sure. I've been teaching with Edmonton Catholic Schools. This is my 21st year, mm. so for a little while. I started off um, my first five years were with the district program. I was teaching the educational experiences program. And after that, I moved on to teaching in a grade one, grade two, or a combined. I also have had a little experience with learning coach, um, doing that on a part-time capacity. And then I moved into um, grade six four years ago, and I've been teaching grade six ever since. Lots. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So can you tell us, first and foremost, just a little bit about the work that your school is doing with assessment and teacher clarity? And just for our listeners and our viewers, can you explain what teacher clarity is? What we are working on is actually the teacher clarity playbook. Um, Nicole, our administrator, introduced it to us. And we're working through the modules and not necessarily in any particular order. It's what we feel most relevant at the time. And we'll kind of read a module on our own time or with our colleagues. And then we discuss it during one of our staff meetings. And we'll talk about like our aha moments, what we are like, something new, things that kind of resonate with us. And where the next steps, where can we go from here with um, the book and in our assessment in our classrooms. And when we look at clarity, 
to me, clarity is communication. Mm -hmm. It's really just me communicating with the students, but it's actually two ways. It's the students communicating with me as well, communicating what they're supposed to be learning. How can they show that learning? How do they feel about their learning? Do they feel like they're succeeding? And how do they know that they're succeeding? And it, it goes with their men and with the parents as well. It's just keeping that communication so everybody knows what the expectations are. Lovely. What does that communication look like exactly in your classroom? In my classroom, I think the biggest part of that communication is open dialogue with my students, but introducing something that I really pulled from our book um, is learning intentions and success criteria. Mm -hmm. Having learning intentions posted for my students, which is what they should be learning by the end of the lesson, by the end of my chapter, and how can they show me what they've achieved through and success criteria. Mm -hmm. So last year, did you use teacher clarity? No, this is the first year we're ever using it. Oh, awesome. Have you noticed a difference between last year and this year? Oh, absolutely. This year, I find that my students, especially even at the beginning, because we didn't start this until like, I'd say October, November. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of the year, my students were often like, why are we doing this? Um, what, like, I don't know, how do I know if I'm getting a proficient or an excellent, uh, I, they didn't really know the expectations, whereas now they truly know exactly what they need to do, why they're doing it, the purpose, the relevancy of the lessons, the skills that they're learning. And they no longer say to me, how do I know if I've achieved this? Because they have the success criteria and they know they're achieving it because they can just look at the success criteria and go, oh yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this, but I didn't show this. And so from that, they're creating their own goals as to, oh, I didn't do this, but now this is my new goal because I haven't achieved this yet. Awesome. So just to recap for our listeners, learning intentions and success criteria mm -hmm. really bring that, that clarity to students as to what they're going to be learning, why that relevance is important. And then the success criteria is how they can show that they've achieved that learning intention. Exactly. Like my students and with the success criteria, sometimes we'll, I'll have it posted for my students so they know, okay, today's lesson, we're going to be learning this. This is by the, what we're going to be learning by the end of the lesson and this is how you're going to show it. But a lot of times the success criteria is throughout the lesson, we'll talk about what did you just do to show me that we've learned and refer back to my learning goal. Or at the end of the lesson, or sometimes I'll give them a sticky the next day and I'll say, yesterday we were learning this. What did you do to show me that you've learned that? And so they'll write their own success criteria down and then I take their stickies and I go review them and then look what's common between them. And that's what I post as success criteria. Lovely. So can you, for listeners who you know maybe aren't familiar with learning intentions and success criteria incorporating it into their classroom, can you just give us an overview, if we were to walk into your classroom, what that would look like? All right. Um, in my classroom, if you walk into it right now, what you would see actually is on my board, my whiteboard, I have learning goals um, written right on the whiteboard. And right underneath the learning goal, I'll have like their success criteria listed for them. I have it posted on um, big chart paper at the back of the classroom. I have posters where the students will have their success criteria themselves written out. I've got in, in Google Classroom as well, I've created a Google slide set for every single subject area with all our learning goals and the success criteria for them for them to go back and review. And so then when I'm teaching a lesson, 
um, I, I introduce the learning goal first and I tell them what we're going to be learning for the day. And as we work through the lesson, we'll go back and look at the learning goal. And I will refer back to the learning goal as we are working on, it could be fractions, it could be um, writing newspaper articles, mm -hmm. whatever I'm teaching at that moment. And then I'll, we'll go, we'll look at some of the success criteria as we're working through it. And for example, with um, newspaper articles, I'll be like, what is the first thing you need in a newspaper? And they'll be like, I need a headline. And so that will be like, oh, can you see that in our learning or success criteria? And they're like, yeah, it's right there. And so we kind of, it's back and forth in the classroom. So that way they can see the relevancy of what they're doing to where they're going. So how do you then take the learning outcomes from the curriculum and incorporate learning intentions and success criteria so that they're, they're match? Um, I feel that honestly, you cannot create learning intentions or the success criteria without actually looking at your curriculum, your learning outcomes. And so I feel that the learning outcomes, my like learning goals for my students are the outcomes in our program of studies. And the success criteria really come from the cusp. So the skills and procedures that they need to do and learn in order to achieve those outcomes. So they go hand in hand. So my first step always is going into like the learning website, looking for my outcomes, looking for my cusp, and creating my learning intentions and the success criteria from there. I'm curious, from a student perspective, have they brought up learning intentions and success criteria, how do they talk about it? Did you bring it up once in a while? Um, you'll actually hear them say the words success criteria. Did you meet the success criteria? When they're about to hand in something and I'm like, are you sure you're ready to hand it in? And the, another student was like, did you finish, meet all the success criteria? Did you do everything on the board? Did you have, do you have like, we have, for example, on the board we're talking, we have a learning goal in regards to writing a paragraph and they're like, did you put your introductory sentence? Do you have your three reasons in the center? Do you have this? So they're questioning each other and getting each other to think about what they need to do to demonstrate they've succeeded. That's, so they're like literally bringing it up themselves. That's beautiful because having that communication between students and them discussing and talking about it, learning is a social activity. And so when you have students who are engaging with each other about the learning and the success criteria, it's just, it's a powerful, powerful opportunity for students to further their learning. Right, absolutely. And I also find that sometimes like a student's been away, they're able to look at the learning goals and they know what we've been learning. And so they can see what this success criteria is. So they know the skills that they have to learn to get there. Or they'll look at the learning goals and they'll be like, I understand what that is, but I'm not sure how to show it. Then they start looking at the success criteria and they're like, oh, this is how I can show it. Mm -hmm. Or I already know some of that. So then what's the next step? So it really helps them in many ways. And like if a student comes in and like, oh, what are we doing in class yesterday? And they're like, look at the learning goal. It's right there. So it's, it's, it's evident for them. It's all over the place. So they are never going, what am I doing here? Like right. they always have it. It's a very evident for them and it makes it I think I feel it's really motivated my students and they know and understand where they're going and they want to achieve and it's easier for them to achieve when they know what is expected 
and not only they know and understand what the goal is, but then they know how to get to that, that goal, goal as exactly. well. Exactly. And so, and that's why they're setting their own little goals is because they're able to achieve certain parts of the success criteria. And then they look at the part they haven't achieved. And that's where I find when they're looking for support, that's where the questions are coming from. It's like they know, okay, I haven't achieved this, so let me ask the question, how do I show this? How do I get to that part? So they're now able to clarify their own questioning mm -hmm. with me, not just saying, I don't know what to do, or I don't get it. It's like, well, what part do you not get? And they'll like be able to pinpoint it a lot easier than just saying, I don't get this. So now with the success criteria, they know how to advocate for themselves. Exactly. I love that. So how do the learning intentions and success criteria, how does that now work for our students who maybe have diverse needs? For my students who have diverse needs, we still work with the same learning goal, but their success criteria might be a little bit different, especially since we co-create their success criteria by them writing it on their stickies. So they might have more or less success criteria. It might be more simplified for them. And so with them also who have diverse needs, I find that they really need a clear expectation of what, what they're learning and this clarifies it for them. And so they're able to take those steps to again advocate for themselves a little bit more. They're now be um, with the success criteria being a little bit more reduced, they're feeling like they can actually accomplish it. So I'm feeling a, a greater a growth in self-esteem or confidence mm. because they now feel like they can get there because the steps are tailored to them. And they're experiencing that success. Yes. Oh, I love that. With the learning intentions and success criteria that you're doing with your students, you're doing great work with them. Mm -hmm. Has that translated to parent communication? Yes, because with my parents, they also can see the Google Classroom. So they can see what we're learning in class and how their child can needs like what are the skills a child should possess to get to those learning intentions. But this also, like, a lot of times our parents don't understand what we're doing in class. They might know oh, we're learning about like newspaper articles, mm -hmm. but they have no, they're not sure the, of this, what does that entail? And with now having the success criteria there, they too understand what their child is learning and it builds a better partnership. So when I'm giving them feedback, they understand where the, how the feedback is connected to what they're learning and they can support their child better because they know the individual skills a child's now going to have to show to show the learning. And so they can sit down with their child and like, oh, you understand this, but you're not understanding this part. So they can work with their child at a, I guess, a better level than they were able to before because they, again, they would be like the students. I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And now they have that better understanding of that. I love that you said that, that communication has opened up for parents yes. now because they now understand what is actually going on in the classroom. classroom. Yeah. That is amazing. And what about admin? Has that helped? Well, with our admin, they too have a better understanding of what we're doing in our classroom. And I'm able to communicate with my men better where I'm seeing successes, where I'm seeing maybe a little bit of a pitfall where skills may have been missed because of COVID or various reasons. And so I can better communicate that with my admin my and they can at that point be able to offer me the support that I need versus more generalized support. We can target the support for our students better this way. Awesome. 
So I just really want to kind of jump back sure. um, to our success criteria. And I know you've mentioned co-creating success criteria yes. with your students. Um, for teachers who maybe haven't done it yet or a little bit hesitant to do it, can you just walk us through how you how you create that with with students? Sure. So, uh, for example, with uh, all these conventions, and it's kind of one of the ones that we did co-create. Um, what I did is we in class we uh, we talked about conventions, things that like which and punctuation, capitalizing the word I, various different things that we need to see in their work. And the bit it all started with what I did is I put um, their daily journal. Mm -hmm. I was not, I, I was going through their daily journal and I placed dots in their journal. And I placed green dots for things that they were doing well, like capitalizing the first letter of the first word in a paragraph for correct punctuation. And green uh, orange dots were something was missed, like an apostrophe, a comma, or capitalized, not capitalizing the word I. And I didn't say anything to them. I absolutely said nothing. And at that point, I said to the students, why do you think I'm putting these dots? Mm -hmm. And they're like, they looked at their books and they were like, things were doing well and things were not. And I'm like, okay, so what, talk to me about this. Tell me, what, what are you noticing? And that's when they started telling me their observations. Well, I put capitals here. I, I missed a punctuation. And so from there, I said, okay, so then when you're writing, what do you need to do? And what? how do I know that you have incorporated conventions? And so they started telling me, well, I have to have end punctuation. So that's success criteria. I, I need to have a capital beginning of my sentences. That's our success criteria. And that's how we built the success criteria from that. What? Are we still doing that? Mad minutes? Okay. There, there is an element of, of gaming and fun that can happen with something like that. I mean, we all like trivia tests and we watch uh, trivia games on television where there's 30 second countdown with the music and you have to come up with the right answer. But sometimes if we're really focused on the concept attainment and understanding and ultimately mastery of a concept, putting a time constraint or a time pressure on students isn't always the best way to unlock that learning or have them demonstrate what they know. Sometimes it's simply more time required. When we think of um, the considerations that we give kids provincially for like a PAT or diploma exam, uh, we add extra time. Why? Simply to give students a reasonable amount of time to demonstrate what they know. Not all students are going to be able to demonstrate in one minute. Um, they're conceptual understanding of, of, of a math concept or outcome that might need a couple of minutes. That race, that rush, it sometimes as much as we like to believe as it sharpens the saw, sharpens their ability and their skill, it does cause stress and anxiety and maybe the students aren't feeling that they're able to demonstrate truly what they know. So they're not on top of their, their best game, so to speak. So although there are times in place to, to leverage um, a, a closer time frame for a task, Let's consider using those sparingly. I don't know. What do you think? You know, it, when you're just incorporating this into your classroom, it's comfortable to want to create that success criteria mm -hmm. first as a, as a teacher. And then until you're comfortable with doing that on your yeah. own, then you can incorporate it with your students. But it's definitely not a jump right into it and get yeah. it all it's definitely you have to take it slow, take it in steps, especially when you're just starting, because it can become overwhelming and you're like, where do I start? I just, 
I started with just one subject, which was like my language arts, something I felt a little bit more comfortable and I felt it was a lot easier to come up with that mm -hmm. success criteria. And from there, I like one lesson was come up with the learning intention and from there, the success criteria. So it was a very slow process. Now I've gone to a point where I just think in learning intentions yeah. and success criteria becomes like, like natural after a while. It's like a second language. It is, <laughs> completely. I'll be like lying there in like a kind of like a, just have relaxing in the evening and I'm going, oh, learning intention for this. What is it? What's yeah. a success criteria? <laughs> So I love, I love that you mentioned that you took it slow. Okay. I think as teachers, we want our students to succeed. And when we try something new, we're so eager to jump into Munch everything. Um, but it's take it slow and steady. And I, I love that you said that you use one subject okay. or you started with one subject and you went from there. Exactly. And find with working with one subject, one subject that I'm more confident with, one subject that I like really know well made it easier to slowly be able to bring it into the next subject and also this way I found that like I can start going cross-curricular in subjects like social and language arts where some of the skills are similar that you are can show me for your writing a paragraph when it comes for your, like your debate so the skills are coming from both subject areas so then I can start building upon it and they can see how this is relevant across all areas and it interconnects. I'll bring up math in when they're doing art and the kids will be like, math and art? And I'm like, yes, well, remember our success criteria, remember our learning intention, what we're doing. This is part of it. This is an example of it. Mm -hmm. And then like, so it makes a better connection for them that way. Bringing in relevance yes. and the connection yes. to the students further deepens their, their learning right. and their understanding. Yes. Again, we've talked a lot about incorporating learning intentions and success criteria uh, into our teaching practices and how students are able to achieve the learning intention. I'm curious to hear how you incorporate feedback into this process. All right. Um, when I'm giving students feedback, it actually, you, with the fact that I have the success criteria for the students laid out, I'm able to give them more individualized feedback. I'm able to give them feedback that is more meaningful for them because they know exactly where it's coming from. And so when, for example, one of my students is writing, we noticed that when we're looking at the convention, something he was not doing was, or actually what he was doing was putting a capital letter I everywhere so it was in the middle of words um when the word i is just being used so we started talking about that because it was part of our um, learning intentions and i said you're doing really well with this part and this part but the word i and so that became now a goal for him he could, he created his own goal based off of that feedback i was able to give him when we related it directly to that success criteria and so that's very helpful for the students the students were able to then go back um, when i'm giving them feedback on further newspaper articles again we came up with what is the learning of the success criteria and I can go back to the students and I can say well you met this piece you met this piece but this is what you are missing and so they're able to then take that back and know exactly how they can correct their own work the next steps for them to correct their own work the goals that they can create for themselves mm -hmm. and this is another one of the things why I love success criteria mm -hmm is because it provides obviously clarity for the student, but it provides clarity for the teacher as to what they need to look at in order to provide feedback. It's just an easier process to be like, oh, I, the student can do this 
and this student is missing this. I know exactly what I need to. Precisely, and I find that before doing success criteria, I found that when I was giving them an assessment, I would mark it, okay, they got this and move on. Now I'm really thinking about what their responses are, what they're doing, and where the errors might be, the areas of struggle, and those areas of struggle then become new learning intentions with their own success criteria. So it gives me the next steps often. So I can kind of build on my own teaching, my own, like what my own lessons are going to be. It might show me that I don't need to go to this next step because everybody understands this really easy already. Mm -hmm. So I can take it to the higher level. And so it helps me go reflect on what their students are learning on my teaching and how I can I need to either go back or go forward. And it, it, it provides me direction. I love that you said that because my next question is going to be how do you use student data from assessments to inform your instruction and adjust your learning intentions and, and your it, success criteria? Exactly. It provides my direction. It really lets me know that everybody's missing this one piece of success criteria. I need to go back and turn that into a learning intention in itself. We need to learn this piece before we can move on. Sometimes I assume they know something because there's a prior skill from a previous grade. And they actually don't have that skill. And this is why they're not succeeding. And actually, that came out yet just the other day. We're learning fractions in class. And we're talking about how going from mixed fraction to a like improper fraction. And we were struggling with the piece of division. And so through our success criteria, I'm like, you do you not understand how to do division? So now we need to back it up. And what are the skills for division that were in the previous grade? And I can go back to those skills and look at this is a new learning intention with the success criteria so that way we can get to where I need to be. Mm -hmm. it, it, it provides complete direction, both me and the students. Absolutely. It just, it just, I feel like it puts a magnifying glass on what exactly yeah, is going on in the classroom. Okay. Teacher knows what they're doing. Thanks. Student knows what they're okay. doing. Parents know, know what's what going on. Admin know what's mm -hmm. going on. Yes. And everybody is on the same, same. page. For exactly. And with everybody using this across our school, it's a common language. Mm -hmm. It's a common expectation. And so my students, who I'm going to be receiving next year in my class, already have heard success criteria, already heard learning intentions, and know what that means and what it looks like. And so then next year, it's just jumping into it with the new ones. And so they know how the skills are built from mm -hmm. and how to achieve that and how the feedback is used from I get the feedback from the success criteria and they know how to ask questions. So it's such a back and forth. So a common um, theme that kind of comes up within uh, when we talk with teachers is grades okay. and students kind of fascinated on, on that grade. So how have you kind of approached that or have you dealt with it with that? I have dealt with it. I found that towards the beginning of the school year when we were not using learning intentions and success criteria, students were very focused on, well, is this a proficient? Is this an excellent? How do I get to a proficient? What does that look like? And now that we have success criteria, we're kind of moving away from talking about the grade itself and the skills that they need to show, what they need to do to show that they've learned the the goal, met, met the goal. And so when we're in class, they'll we'll talk about, well, have you, we'll look at the success criteria. Have you done this? Have you in, show me that you have a headline yes mm -hmm. have you shown me you have like a body yes did you incorporate your quote into your newspaper yes then you are achieving it and 
what you need to learn. And so they now understand that by doing the meeting the success criteria and being able to check them off themselves, that they know they have achieved it and they're no longer focusing on that grade, but focused on meeting all the success criteria. It's no, because they know, and I've basically told them, if you meet the success criteria, you are that proficient, that standard of excellence. That's what the goal, the success criteria is. When you're not achieving those and you're maybe missing one or two, you might be more uh, like the, the approaching level. And so they now know, oh, if I meet all these, this is where I'm going to be. If I meet this, this is where I'm going to be and mm -hmm. how to get to that next step. So less focus on mm -hmm. does this count? Couch. What's this yes. worth? It's just meeting that success criteria to show that they've learned it. And definitely way more focus on the learning. learning. The process of the learning. Yes. Wow. You talk about uh, incoming students having that knowledge of success criteria and learning intentions already. I just want to kind of dive into how has that collaborative process with your colleagues helped? How do, and how does that look and how does that work? Um, it's looked kind of different, um, different grades, obviously, but we, a lot of it comes from when in our staff meetings, after we read some of the modules from the teacher clarity um, playbook, we discuss it, talk about it, um, we feel is important, how we can show this in class. We've, um, at PDs about assessment and created like learning intentions and success criteria from there. So it, it's really just brought, opened up that communication between our, ourselves and our colleagues, our grade partners, and sitting together when we're planning and coming up with what do our, what are your next steps mm -hmm. and just just having that open dialogue within our colleagues. Because we know when teachers collaborate, right. students win. So before we go, Maria, I just wanted to quickly ask you, because I know there's going to be listeners who are wondering this, have there been challenges with incorporating teacher clarity? I don't know if it's really challenges or more the feeling that when you're introduced something new, it's always like, oh my gosh, it's another thing I have to do. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. It's another one of these things that we're being asked to right. incorporate in our daily lives. And so I feel it's just something you kind of have to go out there and do. Take it slow. It's um, really focus on one area at a time. I think that is the biggest, I guess, comeback that I came from it is that you don't have to start and do it across everywhere. And the challenge is actually just like taking it slow and taking mm -hmm. not just jumping on bandwagon, but just like looking at it and going, how can I slowly incorporate this? What is one thing I can do? What is one area that I feel I can help my students and myself so we can have a more meaningful um, lesson, mm -hmm. um, something that can really help. And so it's not so much I feel as challenges versus just learn, thinking about taking it slow. So I'm going to ask you a pointed question right now. Okay. Is it worth it? It's definitely worth it. I am way more motivated. I understand my students so much better. I can communicate to my students, my parents, to my men about my students' learning in a much more meaningful way. And I feel the students are more motivated and they're creating, they're taking more ownership of their own work. Mm -hmm. they're, they're learning their next goals without me having to do it. I'm not it's not all about me it's about them what is your dream for education 
I think my dream for education is having students feel confident in their learning, having my students feel motivated and wanting to take the next steps and wanting to create their own goals for their learning instead of always relying on me for giving them the next goals, the next steps is where they take over. Truly having responsibility for their learning. Responsibility and ownership of it. I love that. Thank you, Maria. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, that concludes our episode for today. A huge thank you to Maria Greshik for sharing what she does in her classroom in relation to teacher clarity. If you're interested in learning more about teacher clarity or you want to see it in action, we have videos linked in the description for this episode that showcase Maria with her students. If you haven't yet already listened to part one of this two-part episode, please do so. In part one, you'll hear Nicole Tomlinson, the principal at Bishop Sabrin School, speak about leading change and leading this, this initiative. And leading this initiative. Thank you again to Tim Kuzak for his segment. We're still doing that. And especially to you, our listeners, thank you for your time and dedication in tuning in to The Learning Curve. We release episodes bi-weekly, and that schedule is set to continue throughout the summer months. So if you are on the beach or you're at the lake or where whatever you're doing and you, you need something to listen to, please tune into our channel. So without further ado, this wraps up the episode, and we will see you next time on The Learning Curve.